portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a little while this morning comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen redeemer. Amen. So we began worship today pondering the word justify. What does it mean to to justify oneself? It means to try to, to declare yourself not guilty, to convince yourself, to convince someone else that you're not guilty. That's typically how we use the word in, in English. If someone's trying to justify themselves, that assumes that there's guilt. That either someone is accused of being guilty or they feel guilty and they're trying to deal with it. This is the concept that we talk about in the very first lesson of Bible Basics class. It's a, an absolute essential concept to discuss. Why does anyone feel guilty at all? Well, it's because of this thing we call the natural knowledge of God. Everyone has it. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or an atheist Everyone has the natural knowledge of God. And when we summarize the natural knowledge of God, we'll we'll do it like this. Three parts. One, logic. It makes more sense that some kind of divine being, or maybe even divine beings, made this universe. It makes more sense that someone or something made this universe than, oh, it just happened. And so there's the logical evidence of God's existence. Then there's the experience that we have as as humans. We look around us and we see the sheer size of the universe, of the earth. And we conclude whoever made this must be really powerful. And then we see the wisdom in creation, in nature, in our human bodies. Whoever made this place must be really wise. So logic and experience tell us about God's existence, but then there's emotion. We often refer to that as the conscience, the the feelings that we have about right and wrong. Think of the conscience like a little judge in a courtroom sitting inside your heart, comparing everything you think, say, do, or even feel to the law. Your understanding of right and wrong, that the law that God has written on your heart from the moment you, you were born. You might have a thought, it didn't hurt anyone, but you feel guilty. Why is that? It's because God has built this conscience into you. 
that accuses you of, of sin when you do wrong or say wrong or think wrong or even feel something that you shouldn't feel. It's this little judge inside of us, this, this conscience, that makes us aware not only that God exists, but that there's tension between us and God. Something is wrong. And it's this tension that human beings are re- responding to, this guilt over sin that human beings are responding to when they're trying to justify themselves. Why would someone want to convince themselves or anyone else that they're not guilty? Because deep down in their heart, they know this guilt is a problem, this sin is a problem, and I gotta do something about it, so I gotta figure out a way to convince myself that I'm not actually guilty. We have two examples of justification in our text. The Pharisee and the tax collector. For the sake of this this courtroom picture, let's, let's keep using it. The Pharisee is using a human courtroom. The tax collector stands in God's courtroom. The Pharisee says, by human standards, I look good. Any human judge would look at me and say, not guilty. You're doing everything right and you're not doing anything wrong. Whereas the tax collector is using God's standards and God's standards alone. He, he stands in God's courtroom and he knows I'm a sinner. There's nothing I could do to justify myself before a holy, righteous God. And so he throws himself at the feet of God, at the mercy of God, as our text said, But what he really says is something a little different than begging for mercy. He literally says, Lord, atone me, a sinner. Lord, reconcile me, a sinner. The Pharisee stands in a courtroom and relies on what he has done or not done to convince himself that he's not guilty. The tax collector doesn't do that. He doesn't rely on himself at all. Instead, he throws himself at God's feet and he says, you make me at one with you again. You atone for me. You reconcile with me. If you don't fix this, Lord, no one can, no one will. And that's where Jesus says, it's, it's this one who relies on God for justification. It's this tax collector who relies on God to declare him not guilty, who goes home not guilty. The one who relies on himself goes home guilty, even though he thinks he's not guilty. This is a really important topic, and it's a really important concept. When I was serving in in Laramie, Wyoming, I, I did campus ministry at the University of Wyoming for seven years. And something I ran into almost as regularly as any other discussion was a question that went something like this. How do you, Christian, know that you're right in a world filled with so many other options, so many religions? How can you be so arrogant to think that you have it right and everyone else has it wrong? That's a tough question. Because if you're not careful, you, you just feed their perception of your own arrogance. The person who asked that question already thinks the Christian is arrogant. And so you got to be careful, right? Because your answer might just feed that. Think of it this way. That question assumes that there are countless numbers of different religions, right? But in reality, there's only two. 
The Pharisee and the tax collector. The, the Pharisee is any religion made up by humans. And it goes like this. There's a path. A list of things to do or a list of things not to do. If you follow that path, the result will be, ready for it? Good. You'll like it. It'll be positive. You see, all the world's religions that are made up by humans, they they look very different on the surface because they are very different. Religions like Buddhism and Hinduism have no parallels to to the Judeo-Christian religions. There's no heaven or hell parallel. Even the divine concepts that are found in these religions are nothing like what we find even in Islam or Judaism or Christianity. They look very different on the surface, but in the end, they're all the same in this one way. If you follow the path, the result will be good. If you follow the path to a point where you could say, yeah, I'm not guilty, I've done it good enough, I've, I've followed the path, there will be a positive outcome at the end. But the other religion, the one that's not made up by humans, also has a path. But the result of walking on that path is terror and despair. You walk along the path and you realize very quickly it's hopeless. You can't do it. You can't do what the path asks of you. You, you, find up, you, find out, you end up throwing yourself at the feet of God. You end up where the tax collector ended up, in the the throne room of God, the courtroom of God, begging for mercy, asking him to reconcile you, to, to restore the relationship between you and him because you can't walk along the path. Anyone who tries to will not get a good result at the end, but a bad one, a very bad one, eternity in hell. If this is true, that there's the one path, man-made religion, and then the other path, God-made religion, you'd expect the man-made tendencies to come over into the God-made religion too. You'd expect people who call themselves Christians to start looking more like the people on the other path. Live your life this way, do it this way, and the result will be good. In other words, you can do it. You're, You're capable of following the path. Here's the Ten Commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, do your best, and God will smile on you. That's not God's religion. That's not what biblical Christianity says. That's what men say. That's that's how humans justify themselves. They give themselves a standard that seems attainable. They use logic to excuse away wrongdoing. They use emotion to cope with guilt, to find substances or activities or destinations that make them feel better so that they can deal with their, their guilt. Or like this Pharisee, they'll compare themselves to other people and say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than that person, so must be good enough. Human beings have endless ways of justifying themselves. If you really dig into it and start studying the religions of the world, you'll, you'll find an endless supply of justification tactics, of efforts to deal with the guilt that God has built into each and every one of us. But as Jesus said in the parable, only one goes home truly justified. Only one. It's the one who relies on God 
to justify him. It's the one who relies on God to declare him not guilty. It's the one who trusts in God's promises and God's promises alone for his not guilty verdict. The promise to send a Messiah who who would sacrifice himself one time to pay for sin. Who who would die for your sins and mine, removing guilt forever. And, And who would rise from the dead to prove that sin had been paid for. That you and I truly are not guilty. God's justification, God's not guilty verdict is the only one that works. And so my question for you today is, why do you so often rely on other methods? I do the same thing. You get accused of sin. Maybe it's in the home. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's at your church. And like my children, you and I do the same thing. We jump to make excuses. No, I didn't. You can't judge my heart. We try to figure out any way we can to excuse away our sin, to justify ourselves. If God's way of justifying is the only justification that works, why would we ever rely on any other justification? And yet we do. All the time. We try to figure out ways to excuse away our sin using our head, coping, to ease the emotional pain. Jesus reminds us it was the tax collector who went home justified and the tax collector alone. I want to close today with a section of scripture that really captures this whole discussion really well. It's the end of Romans chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is discussing Abraham. Abraham in the Old Testament was put in this very difficult position. He was very old and had no children. He was 100 and his wife was 90 and they had no kids and God said, you're going to have a child. And finally, after a lot of doubting, Abraham said, fine. He trusted the Lord's promise. God persuaded Abraham that he had the power to do what he promised. Listen to the result. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone. That's important. Do you remember who wrote the book of Genesis? It was Moses. Do you remember when Moses lived? 500 years after Abraham. These words written down in Genesis were not written for Abraham's benefit, but for yours, for mine. Listen again. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He, Jesus, was delivered over to death 
for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That last sentence is even cooler in Greek. It literally says, Jesus was delivered over to death because of our sins. In other words, our sins caused the death of God's son. But then it says, he was raised to life because of our justification. Our not guilty verdict. Think of it this way. Our sin caused Jesus' death, but when the father raised him from the dead, the father was saying something. Like a judge sitting in a courtroom by raising Jesus from the dead, he was saying the sins are gone. The sins that caused my son's death have been forgiven, removed forever. They're never gonna be held against you again. You are not guilty. And my son's resurrection is proof that you are not guilty. Jesus, the son of God, was raised from the dead because of your not guilty verdict and mine. Believe it. Believe it. Many of you have heard this before. You've celebrated Easter before. You've come here and you've celebrated, he is risen. He is risen indeed, Hallelujah! Why do we say that? Why do we celebrate that? Because the fact that God's son did not stay dead, but rose from the dead, is the assurance that you are not guilty. Not in some human courtroom that doesn't matter, but in God's courtroom, you are not guilty. And so my encouragement to you today is as you leave here, stop justifying yourself in, other, in any way. If, if you're ever accused of sin, you need not defend yourself. You need not concern yourself with whether or not the accusation is, is 100% true or, or partially true or not true at all. What does it matter? You're not guilty. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed in God's eyes, the only eyes that matter. You are not guilty. When accused of sin, say, I'm sorry, please forgive me and assure me that my God forgives me too because I know that he does. You are not guilty. I am not guilty. You are justified. I am justified. Revel in your justification this week. Amen.